do want to remind you to pray for our Africa missions team, Stacy Youngblood and Alexis and Ashley Frank. Uh, if the plan went as was hoped for today, they have uh, spent the morning in worship with a church in Bela with a pastor by the name of Pastor David. And Pastor David has a heart for all tribes. There are no churches among the Kenyanka people, but um, his church that has just started in the last year uh, has a desire that all tribes, I know this is very strange for us, but generally when you have a church in Guinea, it would be for the Pele tribe or this particular, the Susu tribe. And they would stay with their people. But Pastor David has a heart uh, for all tribes. And so hopefully our team has been there and has been able to take our translator, Brother Swalu, with them. And um, we would pray for the day that God would not only raise up believers, but baptize believers and ultimately uh, churches among the country among the Kenyanka people in each of their villages. So be in prayer for our missions team. Um, <clears throat> three Sundays from today, we will have a commitment Sunday for the third phase of our Giving to Grow a campaign to pay off the debt on our Family Life Center. Ten years ago, uh, we finished the building and basically the cost 10 years ago that uh, we started with was 1.6 million dollars um, you as God's people have been faithful in the last 10 years to give above and beyond your tithe and we only owe two hundred and twenty seven thousand dollars so uh, we have seen God do an incredible work in the last 10 years we are obviously needing to finish paying off the building in the next couple years. And so uh, three weeks from this Sunday morning, we will have a commitment Sunday in which we will ask you as God's people to prayerfully consider giving above and beyond your tithe towards uh, the retirement of that debt. We have... That Sunday, we will have commitment cards. We have the commitment cards here. They are on the Lord's Supper table. They are also out in the foyer in the long hallway. Um, as you pray, we ask you to give whatever it is that God um, would lay on your heart to give. It may be a, a weekly gift. You may want to give monthly. My family gives monthly. Or you may want to give uh, an amount, just a one-time gift. And so that... You're given all those options on this card. And so I would ask you to take one of the cards and prayerfully consider that. Um, it is not the size of the gift. It is the obedience to give as God leads you. That is the significant part. We trust that as God, uh, as we seek God and God lays it on our heart, that God will, um, as He has begun a good work, He will complete it. And so... We want you to know that that's coming up in three weeks. And that, that will be a Sunday that we will 
we will ask you basically to turn in these cards in the offering plates. There will be no public anything other than that. And so take a card, prayerfully consider what God would give you, um, and if you'll make a commitment to that, then we believe that God will uh, be able to retire that debt. So if you have questions about that, just let me know. Um, there is one thing that I know from the Scripture closes our lives to God. Uh, it would be what I would consider and I am calling last Sunday and this Sunday the greatest vice. It is the one thing that I know from the Scripture that closes our lives to God. And so, maybe if you were ranking sins, this would be at the top of the list. There is a story in Acts chapter 12. And it's a story of King Herod. And it tells us in the early verses of Acts chapter 12 that uh, the early church was persecuted and King Herod, who is there, uh, understand that Herod is a family name. So there's not just one Herod in the Bible, it's kind of a family name. And so there's Herod the Great that was ruling over uh, Palestine in the days in which Jesus was born. Uh, this is also King Herod, but it is King Herod Agrippa, the first, there's actually another Agrippa later in the book of Acts, uh, actually because of what happens in chapter 12. But Herod the king, because he knew that it was uh, politically advantageous of him to persecute the church, uh, to gain, gain favor from the Jews, that um, he persecuted the church. And it tells us in early in those early verses in Acts 12, that he put to death James, the brother of John, one of the apostles. He kills him. And then he proceeds to arrest Peter. And on the night before Peter is to be killed, an angel comes and frees Peter out of prison. And, and most of chapter 12 is about that story of God intervening and saving Peter. But... It is King Herod who has stretched his hand out to persecute the church and to kill some. And I want us to pick up the story just for a few verses. Verse 19 of Acts 12. This is at the end of the story. Peter has been delivered from prison. And it says in Acts 12:19, But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, Peter... He examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. And that's the reason I read verse 12, is, or verse 19, because I want you to know he has gone from where he was persecuting the Jews and he's gone to Caesarea. Verse 20. Now Herod 
had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a, cert, on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Verse 23. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Now I would like to say in my human flesh I kind of like that story. But anyhow, I like it when God takes it out on the sinners immediately. Yeah, give it to them, God. Now, I don't want him to deal with my sin like that. Please understand. I want him to be a gracious and loving God. I don't like, yeah. I'm thinking, wow, what a story. That this man, this king, sitting on his throne, taking the authority and the glory of only God himself, when he does not give God glory, God immediately strikes him and he dies. And I have to think, what was it that this man was so guilty of that God said, no, no, you're out of here. No, this is it. It was that attitude in which when he sat on his throne and took the authority and the glory of God and he thought, more greatly of himself and very little of God, that God said, no, that spirit is so offensive to me that I will deal with this immediately. And God strikes Herod dead. Now, the great thing about, one of the very interesting things, I don't know if it's a great thing, very interesting thing about this story in Acts is that if you go to the secular historians, you're not going to believe this. The secular historians tell this story. If you go to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, he wrote a secular history of the Jews in these days. He tells this story. Now, it's, it's the same story, and he... he brings out different points. So if you were to read Josephus, it's, it's got some different points. But it's the same story. And Josephus tells us about this historical occasion. And he said that Herod came and he came to this large area. And Josephus records that he wore a robe that was made of pure silver. And when the so mo morning sun came up and hit Herod... It was like there was this splendor to him. And he begins to speak. And of course the people were wanting to flatter Herod because they wanted stuff from him. And as Herod spoke, what Josephus records is they began to shout, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. And they went on and on. 
And, of course, in those days, they considered Caesar to be a god. And so they were saying to Herod, you are right up there with Caesar. You are God. And you know what Josephus records? Suddenly and immediately, Herod has a shooting pain in his chest. This is what the secular historian records. And all of a sudden there was a severe pain in his abdomen. And you know what Josephus records? Is that Herod the king immediately knew that he had violated the glory and the authority of God and he connected the severe pain that he had not given God the glory. And he called for the servants to come. And Josephus records that he was, he was carried to his palace. And five days later, I mean, he never recovers from a sickbed. And five days later, Herod dies. Herod I think the story of Herod gives us an illustration of this spirit that is so offensive to God that God would immediately strike somebody and they would die. I don't know. I'm, I'm struck by verse 21 where it says that on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel... And as Josephus said, in, in the brilliance of silver hit by the morning sun, and that he sat on his throne. And so Herod takes the glory and the authority of God. He takes the place of God. And he does not rebuke the people for their flattery. He thought greatly of himself and little of God. Herod exalts himself and God brings him down. The God of glory, the God of authority, the God that reigns in heaven whose rightful place is only held by one and should be held by no one else. This spirit that God opposes started in the very beginning of time. In Isaiah 14, there is a prophecy, obviously by Isaiah, that historically relates to the king of Babylon. But prophetically, it speaks of Satan, the great adversary of God. And so there is this prophecy in Isaiah 14 that relates to Satan. And yes, historically it relates to the king of Babylon who had the same spirit that Satan exhibited. But it is a prophecy that relates and it tells us before we, mankind was created, before the world was ever created, there was a world that God had created the angelic beings and there was one who aspired to the place to be God other than the one true God. And God cast him out. 
with the demons that followed him. And that prophecy, that, that time is expressed in Isaiah 14, verse 12. And following, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Verse 15, though. Yet... You shall be brought low to Sheol, the place of the dead, to the lowest part, I'm sorry, to the lowest depths of the pits. This is a scripture that gives us a revealed word about where did Satan come from? Before mankind before the world was ever created there was a world and there were angelic beings and uh, there is one of those angelic beings whose name is given as Lucifer here and we are given a glimpse into that time in which Lucifer desires to be God he desires to exalt himself and so Once he was an angel of God, but when he exalted himself to be God, then God cast him down. Why why did God... And he cast him and his his demons, his uh, angelic beings out of heaven. They are kicked out of the place that they once had. What was it that Satan did that God so opposed, resisted, that he would cast him out of heaven? He exalted himself to take the place of God that is only God's rightful place. He he sought the glory and the authority of the one true God. That spirit is so offensive to God that he would cast out... I, I think Satan would have been one of the greatest in the hierarchy of angelic beings... And it describes this spirit about Satan or Lucifer. In verse 13 it says, You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And so obviously Lucifer is expressing this desire to take the place of God. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation. And then finally, just that that blatant word in verse 14. He says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then finally this statement, I will be like the Most High. And the prophecy comes that you have sought to exalt yourself. No, I'm going to bring you down. 
In fact, I won't just bring you down. I'm going to bring you down to the grave, to the pits of hell. Do you understand that that spirit that Satan exhibited was so offensive to God that he cast him out of heaven and reserved a place for him that was worse than all other places because of that spirit that he exhibited. Hmm. And so it is, Satan, when the story is told in the early chapters of Genesis, after everything has been created and all is good, That in Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent was the most cunning of all the creatures that God had created. And Satan enters the serpent and he tempts the woman and in turn the man to eat of the tree, the fruit of the tree that God said, you may eat of all the trees except for that one tree, for in the day that you eat of that you will die. And Satan tempts the man and the woman with what? If you will eat the fruit. What was it? What was it? You will become like God. You can be masters over your own life. You can exalt yourself. You can establish your own throne and authority. Nobody will tell you what to do. You will do your own thing. You live your own life. To the fullest, you will become like God. Hmm. That was the sin from the very beginning. This spirit that says, No, I'll think greatly of myself and little of God, and I'll do my own thing, I will be full of myself I will do what I want to do and do you understand that that spirit was so offensive to God that even though he loved mankind more than anything else in his creation and he had planted a garden and he provided us the perfect place for them to live there were no weeds there were no chiggers there well I don't know about all that that's that theology that's much more complicated than Brother Darrell knows. I don't know about all that. A perfect place. That spirit was so offensive to God that God said, no, you can't stay here. You're out. And he kicked him out of the garden and he made sure that they could never get back to that place. The spirit that expelled Satan from the presence of God and the spirit that kicks the first man and woman out of the place that God has created for them to live. It is a spirit that C.S. Lewis defined as the complete anti-God state of mind. When C.S. Lewis speaks about this, that's, that's the way he defines this spirit. The complete anti-God state of mind. We understand that that spirit comes from the depths of hell itself. 
because it originated with its father, Lucifer. In the very beginning of time, it was what kicked him out of heaven and what he tempts us with today. Oh, we started before the creation of the world. Let me just for just a second, let me take us to the end. I'm not, I'm not saying my sermon's about over. No, no, no. We're just getting started. This is my introduction. I'm about to get to my scripture. Before anything was created, Satan exhibited this. He infected mankind with this. If you fast forward human history, whoosh, all the way to the end, the Bible tells us there is going to be a figure at the end and Paul affixes the, the title to him as the Antichrist. We could even say the Anti-God. And there's a lot of scriptures, and we're not going to get all up into that today. But in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, it says of this figure that will be at the end, when rebellion and sin increase... It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, describes this Antichrist, and it says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Hmm. The Antichrist will be the fullness of this spirit in the end of time, the embodiment. Brother Shane, it even relate, relates to Antiochus Epiphanes, who also exalted himself. Yeah, but I can't go there either. But you know, God struck Antiochus Epiphanes and struck him dead because he exalted himself and he put himself in the temple, the Jewish temple before the times of Jesus between uh, this is intertestamental period after the prophets and before Jesus. And Antiochus Epiphanes raises himself and he sacrifices a pig on the altar and he sets up an image for him to be worshipped in the Jewish temple and God struck him dead is what the ancient historians tell us. And so at the end of time there will be this Antichrist figure that will come and Daniel spoke of this the abomination of desolation that will be at the end time, which is, was fulfilled partially through Antiochus Epiphanes, but ultimately will be in the end when um, the Antichrist will set himself up to be God in the Jewish temple. And the Bible tells us when it's gotten that bad, God's going to say, I've had enough. Like my daddy used to say back in the day, I've had enough. And we all knew what that meant. Can I get a witness for the Lord this morning? I've had enough. Father God in those days will say, no, I've had enough. And it's over. And partly it will be because of this spirit that will exhibit itself as it never has in human existence. And ultimately Christ will come. If you read the latter chapters of Revelation, 
Satan will be given a time. The adversary, Lucifer, the one who exalted and desired to be God. And you know what Revelation tells us? That God will take the enemy and He will bind him and He will cast him and the lake of fire and and the pits of hell into the lake of fire. Because this spirit is so offensive to God that whoever exalts himself will be brought low by God. The scripture identifies this spirit which I would contend this morning is more offensive than any other sin spirit that we can exhibit. as pride. 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 And I guess it's Solomon that speaks of this and the one scriptural principle that ties all of this together is in Proverbs 16, 18. And Solomon writes, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We kind of shorten that in our day and we say pride comes before a fall. And that's what the Scripture says. That pride, of all of the sins, is the most offensive to God. And I guess I framed my discussion this morning because I didn't really want you checking out early and going, I'm going to preach against pride this morning. You go, oh, well, finally, he got to something that really is not kind of my thing. You know, I'm a very humble person. I think very little of myself. And so, but I'm sure, Brother Darrell, there's some people out there that need to hear this sermon about pride. Bless your heart. I did not want you filling in the blanks before I had time to because I think if we were character, if we did a little survey here and I said, list the five worst sins. And we just did one through five and we compiled all of those in this room before this sermon, before last week's sermon. I dare say that pride would make the top 25. I think. It's just not on our radar. But when you look at the scripture, it is so offensive to God that he would cast Satan out of heaven and condemn him to hell and would cast the man and woman out of the garden. And it is the one thing that when we read the Scripture closes our lives to God. Pride is a spirit in which a person thinks greatly of themselves and little of God. Greatly of yourself and little of God. It is, pride is a self-centeredness. 
it is a spirit of self-sufficiency. It is a spirit of being self-consumed. If you go back and look at that Isaiah passage, the pronoun I is used over and over. I will do this. 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 And God says, no, I will bring you down. Pride is the greatest of vices. If humility is the greatest virtue, then pride is the greatest vice. And I believe partly it is the greatest vice because it comes from the depths of hell itself. It was the sin from the very beginning. It will be the sin today that Satan will tempt us to be our own person, our own man, to live our own life, to be self-consumed, to be concerned about what what other people think about us. Pride exhibits itself in many ways. And it is the one thing that when I read the Scriptures closes our lives to God. Hmm. And so James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. As I said last Sunday, the one thing that I know that opens our lives to God is humility. Um, The warning of the Scripture today is the one thing that will create a fall, destruction is the sin that we probably wouldn't put our finger on but is infected in all of us from the time of the fall and that is pride. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. and Let me pray and then the altar will be open this morning. Father, today we acknowledge you as God. And all glory and authority is yours. And so, Father, we humble ourselves before you today. And we acknowledge our place and we acknowledge your place. Father, I pray that you would search our hearts. You would diagnose us. Father, and it would not be about our agenda. It would not be about ourselves, our lives, what we want to do. But it would always be about you. Father, I pray that as we empty ourselves of ourselves, that you would fill us with yourself. Father, you would lift us up in your power and your strength. So, Father, in that spirit, we come to you today. And we pray it in the name of Jesus.